If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians to chapter 10, we'll finish up chapter 10. As I reminded you last time, and, and I want to continue to remind you frequently and often, we study God's word in this church, chapter and verse, line on line, precept on precept, every, every tittle, we go through the entire Bible. So it is essential, um, before you send Pastor Jeff a note about any subject, that you do a couple of things. Number one, Thursday night is not the only night that you should be at church if you want to have an assessment of who we are as a church. Sunday morning is not the only day that you need to be at church if you want to have an assessment about who we are as a church. Um, what we teach as a church, because I may be in a passage of scripture on Thursday night that we're not on on Sunday morning and vice versa. And so. Uh, if you want to know what we believe, you're probably not going to get that from any one given message. And so I've noticed lately that because of the hypercritical environment that we live in in our society, that people are making assumptions by hearing a single message that I might teach that, well, your church is this or your church is that. Um, you probably ought to get a little broader sense of who we are before you send those emails or those letters. It'd be a really good idea that you get the whole counsel of God's word because I may be teaching on something like this, uh, which is lessons in leadership, and you might think that we're kind of hyper, you know, focused on, on leaders or those types of things. Or, or maybe you might hear, you know, a message that is, is pointed at legalism and not realize that we also believe that God has called us to be holy as he is holy. And so because of how we teach the Bible, it's important that you get engaged here at Calvary Chapel South Bay in more than just once a week church attendance. So ladies studies, which starting up very soon. Men's study, which starts up very soon. Uh, we're, we have a study on Sunday nights. Most of you know that. We're in the book of Daniel, amen? Uh, we're in a different book on Sunday morning. We're in Galatians, amen? We're here in another book on Thursday nights. We're in 2 Corinthians, amen? So we're gonna cover the whole Bible chapter and verse. You'll get it all if you attend church on a regular basis. So I wanna encourage you. Make sure that you're getting plugged into something other than just one study a week so that you can continue to grow in Christ. As we pick up in verse seven uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, remember, has switched gears. And he begins chapter 10 with some of the strongest words that we find uh, anywhere in the New Testament as he deals with his critics. He is now going to use that as a sounding board, as a place to uh, now bounce from as he deals with this situation in leadership and how we use spiritual authority. And so I've entitled this little series this week and next Lessons in Leadership, and this is the first part as we finish up chapter 10. As we look at how Paul uh, begins to now speak about his own ministry, we find what we believe as Calvary Chapel to be true, that the Bible itself tells us how we ought to do church. The Bible explains to us what it is that we ought to be how we ought to conduct ourselves. And so we find some lessons for leaders. At the moment I say, people say, well, I'm not a leader. Mm, yeah, you are. You're a leader in your home. You're likely a leader in the workplace. You have many places to where you are going to be maybe the most spiritual person in the room, even though you're a fairly new believer. 
And so we all have an opportunity to lead. We also, by definition, if you're a believer in Christ, you're also a disciple, amen? Which means you're a follower. So we both lead and follow as the body of Christ. In this case, we're speaking to that part of us that is going to be called at times to lead. How do we represent the Lord? What does that look like as we exercise our spiritual authority? And so we'll pick up in verse seven. Would you join me and we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless his word and give us insight into it. Father, we thank you for authoring scripture. And we believe in this church that all scripture was authored by you through the Holy Spirit and is appropriate, is suitable for instruction, correction in righteousness, and ultimately that we might uh, be as Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, approved in all things, that, that our lives might match up to the way you want us to live. And so God, we ask you to speak to us, bless us with understanding, in Jesus' name, amen. And he begins verse seven, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? It's a question. Unfortunately, we as human beings are prone to look at almost everything from the outside. And while that is not inherently wrong, nor is it inherently sinful, it can also not be the whole picture, amen? Anybody ever looked at a situation from the outside only to find out that from the inside it was completely different? That, that when you get a little bit deeper than just the surface of what you can see, that that situation takes on a completely different meaning? Paul is going to now speak to this issue as he talks to the church in, in, in a way that I think we can relate to as human beings. Because he... We see what's on the outside. We hear what's actually said. Now, if you're married, you know this principle is absolutely true. There are times that you think that you know what your spouse has said, but the only problem is they didn't say what they meant and you didn't hear what they said. You know, we, we, can, we can see with our eyes and absolutely not hear what is intended because there's an internal struggle. There's something going on within that person's heart or mind and they're trying to communicate, and maybe it doesn't come across the way that they intend. And so we have to be careful because behind everything that we see and what we hear, there is a God who is perfect in all of his knowledge and understanding, and he sees everything exactly as it is supposed to be. And so he's now going to instruct us with that regard. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? For if anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Did you ever notice that the whole body of Christ doesn't think or act or sound or do the same things? That even in the way that we do church, we don't all do exactly the same thing the same way? that there is difference in the body of Christ and it is not inherently one way is right and the other way is wrong. It's that we are actually all Christ's. And there are things in this church which may be a minor thing and another church might be a major thing. There are ways that we do ministry that maybe in another church might look completely different. 
I had an opportunity to hang out with some, some brothers that are pastors and they pastor more liturgical churches. And by that, what I simply mean is they really enjoy wearing a robe and a collar. And I, I can tell you they love the Lord. And I can tell you their church service does not look anything like this. It doesn't sound like this. They, they wouldn't know what to do. If somebody broke out in a guitar rift in their church, they would probably think that something was wrong. But I can tell you they love Jesus. I can tell you that their theology is solid. You see, we would judge from the outside and we might even make the assessment, well, you know, we are Calvary Chapel. And we do church the right way. That's looking at the outside. That's the very thing that Paul's talking about here. And while I'm grateful, I'm actually thankful to be who I am as a pastor and for us to be who we are as a church, it does not mean that someone who does things a little differently than we do are necessarily wrong. Inherently not okay with God. And so Paul says, look, you might want to consider this in yourself. And just as he is Christ, even so, we are Christ. We are simply the body of Christ and thereby brothers and sisters, family one with another. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, he's saying, look, I, I'm an apostle. I have some authority. I, I have some ability to speak into your lives which the Lord gave us for edification, that word edification means to build up. In other words, foundationally, to move from the infancy of salvation into the maturity of someone who's sanctified, that is a process. And, and for those of us in ministry, what we're doing with our authority, hopefully, is to edify or to build up the body of Christ. That's our goal. That is every church's goal. And not, notice what he says, for your destruction. The church is not to be a destroyer. The church is to build up. That's our function. And sometimes I think we get caught up in things that scripture does not give to the church to do. We get so hung up on things that don't ultimately matter eternally that we start destroying the very bride of Christ for whom the Lord died. We start to make human distinctions that the Lord really doesn't care all that much about. Jesus is not anti-callers. You know, Jesus doesn't care about the robes. He, he cares about the hearts of man. He cares about who we are in Christ Jesus. He does not care about whether we have electric guitars or harps or lyres. Not lyres as in people that don't tell the truth, but lyres as in the biblical instrument that King David played. You see, sometimes we get so focused on the externals that we forget to see one another through the internals. This is a function of leadership. It is the leadership of the church's job, really, to get people focused, as Paul says, back on Christ, back on the Lord, not on politics, 
Not on social things, though we have to occasionally touch on those issues. That's part of our job in the church, is to allow our Christianity to touch every area of our life. So it's going to touch your politics. It's going to touch social things. It's going to touch your voting rights. It's going to do all kinds of things. I, I have a position on abortion. Abortion is wrong. Abortion destroys human life. I, I can make the case biblically, but I'm not going to preach every message about abortion. I, I believe that homosexuality is a sin. It separates you from God, not because I think so. It's what the Bible plainly says. So we get to those passages, we'll teach on them. But my goal is to build you up so that you can understand why that is so. I don't need to tell you what to think. I need to tell you about Christ and his word. My job is not to be the Holy Spirit. My job is to put you in position so that you yourself can hear from the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's to build you up. It's to edify you. It's not to tell you how to think. It's to give you tools with which you can observe your world and understand what God wants. And so Paul's making that distinction. I shall not be ashamed. Lest I seem to terrify you by letters. He says, look, I've written to you and you've kind of been a little bit afraid. You know, every once in a while, I have people that repetitively write to me. And I've got a couple of them that's like, I have to admit that sometimes it's like, mm, I, there's no point in me even putting my paper, my letter opener to the letter. I, I can save myself the trouble and file this right now in the circular file. But I, I always open them and I always will at least read them to, to see if this is gonna go someplace that's gonna be beneficial or if it's just someone who wants to make a point. And, and I can tell you that sometimes we can use our writing to terrify people, to try literally to harm them. The Apostle Paul was being accused of that because of what he wrote to the church at Corinth in his first letter and because of part of what he's written here in the second letter. It's like, look, I'm not trying to terrify you. And then he goes on to speak in a figurative way. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful but his bodily presence is weak. It's basically making the same case he's already made. He says, look, if, if you were to see him in person, you'd go, I'm not afraid of him. Oh yeah, he speaks with big words. But when you talk to him, so Paul's saying, look, that's not the issue. His speech is contemptible, they might say. Let such a person consider this, Paul says. He says, okay, you might think that, I've had to write to you something difficult, and yes, you're right, I'm nearly blind. I contracted malaria when I was in Pamphylia. I've got this horrible eye condition. Judging from what we know historically about the Apostle Paul, he was fairly short, he was not good looking. The, the dude was never gonna be on the 700 Club and have his own show, okay? He just wasn't gonna happen. The Apostle Paul was not good to look at, and, and he writes ultimately with very large letters at the end of this letter. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Would you please underline that? Because we as the body of Christ are supposed to be the same everywhere 
every day and in every way. We, we are to be the same when we speak to people in letters or whether we speak to them in person. We are to have the same character and that character, notice how this started, is to be the character of Christ. Anybody in here ever gotten a whooping from Jesus? I have, so there's a place for that, amen? You know, sometimes you have to actually say things to people uh, that's not gonna be all that fun to say, but you can still say that, you can speak, as Paul reminds us there in Ephesians. Speak the truth, therefore, in love. That our whole goal is to build them up, but you still gotta speak the truth, amen? So there's, there's times for us to say things that we might say are difficult or hard. But there's also times for us to build up and lovingly speak into that person's life. When you know somebody is already hurting, when you know somebody's on that path to repentance, when you know that God is at work in their life and they're not quite there yet, it's not the time to beat them with the word, amen? It's the time to say, look, I, I know God's working in your life. I know you're not quite there yet. But, but can I help you? Can we pray together? W would you allow me the privilege of coming alongside? There's a time for us to be kind and gentle and meek, and there's a time for us to be tough, and it is the Holy Spirit that directs the difference between those two places. And so Paul's saying, look, don't make the mistake that because I'm being meek with you that I don't also know how to be strong, but I want my character to shine forth because my character is, the, I hope, to you, the character of Christ. And so he begins here by expressing some ways that we ought to exercise our spiritual authority. Uh, and one of the most difficult lessons that we have to learn, especially in church and as the, as the Lord's church and as his disciples, is to learn that in the kingdom of God, that simply because there's a position of power or a position of authority, uh, that just because you have powerful words or you have a powerful present doesn't necessarily you mean you have the power of the Holy Spirit. I've listened to people rant and rave and yell and scream and you would think that, man, if you just listened to the presentation, that, man, that's gotta be from God because I got slapped good with that one. But it's not necessarily true. Paul's saying, look, the Holy Spirit's gonna work in our lives. We don't need to lord over people. You know, every once in a while, I'll get those letters. It's just like, man, you, you need to just really tell it like it is, Pastor Jeff. The world's going to hell. Can I tell you, yes, the world is perishing and the lust of it is perishing. And one day, Jesus is coming back for his church. That's absolutely true. And as we cover those passages, you'll get that message. But can I tell you, that's not the only message in the Bible. It does not have to be that message every single Sunday. It doesn't have to be that message every time I step to the pulpit. I don't need to let you have it with all of the ills that are going on in the world, okay? The world is a mess. We have some laws in this state that boggle the Christian's mind. We have gone to new levels of debauchery in this state. That's all true. But can I tell you that there's hope in Jesus Christ? So you have to balance that. 
You've got to be willing to say, look, I want to hear the voice of the Lord and I want to speak as the Lord wants me to speak, not just speak loudly and use the platform for whatever purpose somebody thinks I ought to use it. Here in this church, we care what God has to say and so we principally study his word. Occasionally, you're going to get messages uh, that will have a, a point or a direction to them. I once listened to a very famous, and I won't name his name, prophecy teacher, and his entire message was made up of illustrations and you know, bits of what's going on in the world, and I myself have used current events and will, as we get into the book of Daniel, use current events. But this went on for an hour and a half. And ultimately, the whole thing was about him selling his books. That was the whole message. And if you listen to it, there was no presentation of the gospel, there was no hope given, and when you left there, I mean, I personally thought, well, maybe I should just end my life. You know, it's that bad. Oh, look, let me be clear, it's that bad. But there's hope in Jesus Christ, amen? You must give the hope, if you're gonna give the problem, give the solution. You know, quite frankly, I don't care what the Rothschilds are doing or the Illuminati or Putin, and I don't believe he's the Antichrist. Now, I will tell you, having said all that, there's evil forces at work. But every time you make an assessment of those things and you speak those things forth and they don't come true, guess what happens to the Lord's name? The Lord becomes shamed by our assessment of things that we do not know for a fact are true. So I try and stick to the word because I know that the word is true and every man a liar, amen? So we just teach the word. Extrapolation, bloviating, hyperbole, all of those things get you nowhere. But the word of God is sharp, it is powerful. It is the discerner of the intents of the heart of man. It by itself is the answers we need. And so we stick, as Paul says here, to the authority that we have. And the authority I have, if I really want to exercise it, is teach the word. Tell people what the word says. That can change people's lives. What I think will not change your life. Did you know that? What Jeff thinks won't change your life, but the word of God will change your life. I was just thinking of a couple of things. I can't say them. That's how bad it can be, what I think, okay? Paul doesn't deny that he has spiritual authority, but he basically says, look, my authority was given to me to build you up, not tear you down. And so my love and my meekness, the things that he was using here, uh, it, that's the way it should be done. It can still be strong. It can even still have some pointed messaging in it from time to time, amen? When someone comes in and they ask me a question like, I I'm doing this, 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 and this, and I go to the Bible, and the Bible says you can't do that, I'm not gonna go, well, for you. God didn't mean that. No, there's time for pointedness, to look someone in the eye and say, look, this is an issue. It's an issue for you and God. And because when you get to heaven, guess what? I'm not gonna be standing there, would you please let him in? You're gonna be judged based on Christ, and so because he's forgiven that sin, you can no longer walk in it. 
You see, it's how I say that. It's what I do with that that is the important part because that's my spiritual authority. What I do with God's given me is up to me. And I can tell you that the Lord was treated very despicably for his meekness as well, for his gentleness as well. If he had just come out swinging, matter of fact, the Jews would have accepted him if he had gotten rid of Rome. If Jesus had come out being a, a political agent for the downfall of Rome, the Jewish people would have followed him anywhere. So be careful. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, amen? That was his mission. We are on that mission. Now we're gonna touch a lot of other things if we stay on that mission, but if we get off of that mission, then we are going to lose our spiritual authority. Spiritual authority comes from being on Christ's mission, not from me having an opinion about something. There's some lessons that we can learn here. Mature leaders, godly leaders, people who love the Lord, balance, as I said there in Ephesians 4.15, both grace and truth, grace and truth. I speak forth the grace of God in the truth of God. God's grace is not tawdry and cheap, amen? It costs Christ his life, it costs the Father his Son. It's not cheap, but it is free. You see the difference between those two things? It's not cheap. You, you see, sometimes people in an effort to be loving cheapen the grace of God. They just make, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. The greatest example of that would be a word that we use occasionally, and that's antinomianism, against, against the law, antinomos. No, the, the law, its moral standards still stand. As far as God's concerned, we're still supposed to be righteous and holy as he is righteous and holy. But how we get there, that's the issue for us, amen? When I just tell somebody how they need to be and I don't help them get there, I have in essence caused them great harm. If I just tell somebody this is the problem and I don't tell them how to fix it, that's not exactly loving and kind, is it? And so Paul's saying, look, I want you to balance truth in love, grace and truth. Why? Because as Paul says there in Ephesians 4, 15, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Grace and truth balanced in love gets you more like Jesus. Truth by itself can be absolutely brutal, amen? Amen. Probably most of you have run into somebody who just is willing to give you the truth. You get a fistful of truth right in the chops. Your teeth get knocked out from the, tr from the truth. And they don't offer to take you to the orthodontist to fix the problem that they just initiated. All that's happened is you got your teeth knocked out by the truth, but you don't understand the grace of God. And so truth without grace leaves you pretty battered, pretty bruised. And so the opponents of this church were, you know, basically saying if Paul was really an apostle, he just let them have it. Just like go in there and take some names. And Paul's saying, look, don't mistake the fact that I'm not doing that for a lack of spiritual authority. He didn't have to throw his weight around. He did not need to beat them up with the truth. He made it very clear. So look, I want to speak to you in a way that you can understand these things 
But sometimes people need a little bit of time to have a shift in the way that they think, amen? That's why I found it very ineffective to go toe-to-toe with people out on a street corner when they're screaming and yelling and calling you evil things to, to stand out there and go, well, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, you just go back and forth. It doesn't do anything. You're not going to convince someone, as Paul said, with just simply pervasive words. You need to let the actions that you undertake tell them about the love of God. There's something different about the way I was just spoken to. It was truth, but I felt like it was truth wrapped up in velvet. And I love that picture. The truth's still there, but it's delivered in such a way anyone can handle it. Now, lest you think that I'm some softy on sin, there are times when some of you guys need the holy two-by-four two by of Antioch right between your eyes. You know, there is a place occasionally for that. It's just like, dude, you need to stop doing this right now because you're in danger of judgment. There is a place for those things as well. But then you follow that with, God loves you and wants you to change. And Paul's basically saying to us, look, as godly leaders, as someone who wants people to know Christ, I need to have the same meekness, the same gentleness that Christ used while he was ministering on this earth. Do you ever find Jesus screaming and yelling at people he's trying to lead to faith? Absolutely not. The only people that Jesus ever got tough with were those that were actually fighting against him, principally the Pharisees, because they knew what God's word says and they were unwilling to do it. But beyond that, Jesus treated most people exactly the way he did the woman at the well who was caught in the act of sin. He says, look, you you have an issue. There's something going on here. You can't keep doing this. Go and sin no more. But look, I'm not condemning you. I came into this world to save you. I came into this world so that you would not be condemned by me because of sin you were already condemned. I came so that you might have life and that life abundant. That's the message Paul's trying to get across. So he didn't need to beat them up. An immature leader, someone who is really not hearing from the Lord, has to get puffed up and you know filled with themselves it's so amazing to me sometimes when somebody comes in and they have a specific bent and they want to talk about it man they come in with like 95 pages of notes it looks like martin luther wrote them and it's like they set them down on the table it's gonna start checking them off it's like yeah well you said this and you said that and you said that and here's what happens i'm so sorry i hurt your feelings and they're like they don't even know what to do with it i, I didn't mean to upset you you know, if I said something that offended you, that's on me. Would you forgive me? And they're like, what? I came in here to argue. You know, I want to be super spiritual. I'm like, you know what? I think you were right. I, I probably could have said that in a more gentle way. They don't have any idea what to do with it. You, you see, Jesus does that with us, doesn't he? Little secret, he's always right amen so sometimes he tells us in a very shocking way jeff you're wrong i know none of you ever go not me but every once in a while the lord just says you know jeff you just need to change that's just not okay i i i know you had some emotion going on there but that's not what i would have said to that person i certainly would not have said it that way and i have to go you know what lord you're right 
You know, the crazy thing is when the Lord tells you another way to say it, he's always right. He's like, you, you, you could have been softer. You could have been more gentle. You, you could have lovingly corrected them, but you came in as an immature person with pride and arrogance and you, a sense of rightness, and your sense of rightness was not righteousness. Do you understand what I just said? You can be very right and be unrighteous. Did you know that? You can be very right and still be unrighteous. I can have all of the facts absolutely perfectly aligned. I can put them in order. Logically, point A to B includes all of these things which I have just said. But I've done it with the wrong intent. I've spoken those words to wound. Maybe I'm using a false facial expression. I, I know none of you ever do that while you're saying one thing, but in your mind it's something else, and what comes out on your face is a dead giveaway that you're actually not telling the truth. Right? I'm not mad. Love you, man. Really? Because your face is saying you want to punch me out. <laughs> we have to understand God sees past all of that gymnastics that we do. If you're a gymnast, forgive me, I didn't mean to use that term. All the gymnastics, you know what I'm saying, the, the contortions of getting into positions that you wouldn't normally get into uh, unless you're really flexible. And sometimes we can get kind of flexible with the way that we talk to people. We kind of take a little liberty with the things of the Lord. It's just like, well, you know, they need a little more of this and a little more of that, so I'll just kind of bend it a little bit to suit my ways. Never, ever in the life of the Apostle Paul, and we certainly didn't see it in the life of Jesus, could we ever say that Jesus acted like a boss? He is the boss, amen? He's the top, but he never acted like a boss. You understand what I'm saying? You, you see, a boss tells you to go. A leader says, come with me. Do you see the difference between those two things? It's just a slight difference. A boss says, you go. Jesus says, let's go together, follow me. Paul acted like that. He's not telling people to go someplace that he would not go with them, that he himself did not go. And so part of this is, as a mature leader, I'm called to serve, I'm called to go with, I'm called to be there with someone, not say, here's what you should do, go there and do that, let's go there together. A boss inspires fear. If you just focus on the righteousness of God, you know what happens to you? Oh my goodness, right? God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, and here's what happens to you, I'm not. If you only focus on that, if you only focus on what God is and what you're not, it instills fear, and so God gives us that healthy understanding he is holy but he says let me put the righteousness of Christ on you so that you also are holy as he is holy he says let's do this together you can't do it by yourself and I'm so far above you that if I just told you how I am you'll never get there so let's go together a godly leader is willing to say let's do this thing together a boss fixes blame. You ever notice how at work, 
are always looking for somebody to blame. I, I don't know how many of you have been following this horrible tragedy on this diving boat off of Santa Cruz Island. It's already happened. They're already starting to fix blame. They're already filing lawsuits. Our, our, our minds have a tendency to go there. You see, but that's the boss side because I'm pretty sure the Lord knows exactly why everything is messed up, amen? He can't be taught anything. It's not like Jesus wakes up in the morning, man, I wish Jeff would tell me what's going on. It just doesn't happen. He already knows. He's not sitting there going, well, you know, it's Jeff's fault. No, he already knows my part in it. A godly leader fixes the breakdown. Someone who really loves Jesus comes in and says, look, I know how to fix this. Let's do this God's way. And he goes along with that person. A second thing that we see in this in a major way is how we measure the value of, of really ministry, but specifically, but life as well, even our own value. And I put down a question here. I was trying to figure out how to speak this into your life. But I think we would all agree that the, the work of the church, the, the will of God in that sense, and the work of God is a miracle, amen? You ever thought, how do you measure miracles? How, how, do, you, how do you measure the value of someone else's ministry value or their relationship with the Lord in relationship to other people? You see, because your individual value before the Lord actually affects other people on this earth. That's called ministry, by the way. Did you know that? That's what you're doing when you're loving your children and raising them in the training, the admonition of the Lord. That is actually ministry. How do you measure the value of ministry if the value of ministry is the will and the work of the Lord, which is miraculous in our lives by the Holy Spirit? You better be using holy measuring sticks, amen? Not worldly ones. So what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, look, the wrong measuring stick is verse 12. We, we dare not, the New Living Translation says, class ourselves, compare ourselves to those who commend themselves. Look, it's not a worldly measuring stick. It's not, well, that's a great parent and you're a failure. Because you know there's a couple of things about those two families that are probably different. If you have more than one child, are your children individuals? Amen? We have two boys. They're both boys. They're only a couple of years apart. You would think that they would be fairly uniform in exactly how they function as human beings. They could not be more different. We have one that's an introvert, one that's an extrovert. We, ha we have one that loves being in the public eye, one who would rather be by himself most of the time. You, you, you see, if you just judge everything from the outside, you're gonna miss. If, if you simply commend yourself by comparing yourself to other people, you're gonna miss. That's the wrong measuring stick. Sometimes it's easy to just kind of find people with whom you agree, and that becomes your measuring stick, amen? Well, I'll just compare myself to them, and if you find somebody that's worse, how do you feel? Man, I'm so good. 
I'm like, I can't even believe how good I am because I just talked to like 40 people and every one of them's worse than me. It's like, <sighs> you're like all swollen with pride. It's like, man, I am awesome. And God's going, nah, not really. You see, because the measuring stick is not other people. It's not other good people. It's not other bad people. What is the right measuring stick? How should we judge our own ministry? How should we judge who we are in Christ? Some questions, and, and Paul lists them here that I think we can turn into lessons. Some questions to ask yourself. Notice verses 13 and 14. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed to us. Have you ever asked yourself the question, am I where God wants me to be? Am I where God wants me to be? He might want somebody else to be somewhere else, but are you, that's the question, are you where God wants you to be? You see, God's not gonna ask me to give an account for why you are where you are. He's going to ask me to give an account. Jeff, were you faithful where I put you? Are you faithful where I planted you? Or were you looking at some other measuring stick going, well, if I was in that place, I could do that a lot better. Or if I was in that place, I wouldn't have made that mistake on the negative side. Look, God's asking you, are you where you are supposed to be? Paul had been called the apostle to the Gentiles, amen? Can I tell you, to a Jewish person, that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense, especially to one who was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, somebody who was Jewish to the core. But God sent Paul out. He said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go where no one else has gone before. It was like he was the original captain of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> to boldly go where no one has gone before, especially if it's the Gentile world, amen? He says, you go, nobody's been there, Paul, you go there. Paul had to go where God wanted him to go and be satisfied where God called him. As a godly leader, you will not be effective if you were someplace that God has not called you. And here's what this affects in our life. It affects our jealousy level of other people and what God is doing through their life. You see, if you look at other people and what God is doing with them, you might be tempted to think either one of two things, that you could do what they're doing better or you should be there instead of them. God's called you to be you and you should be very happy being you and be happy right where you are. Have joy and do what you're doing well. Do it excellently as unto the Lord. A second thing. Am I trying to be in competition with other ministries or other people? As an individual, are, are you competing with maybe your friend who seems to always be a little more spiritual or they get asked to do certain things and, and you don't? God's not gonna measure you, not gonna measure me, not gonna measure any of us by other people. When I get to heaven, 
A.W. Tozer's not going to be standing there and Jeff, man, you just fell short. There's Pastor Chuck or Pastor Steve or D.L. Moody or Billy Graham or some other great saint and Bible teacher. I'm not going to get there and go, wow, you were so far underneath these guys. What are you doing here? That's not going to happen. God is going to judge, Jeff, were you faithful with what I gave you to do? Were you faithful in the space that I put you? Were you faithful there? Or were you competing? I'll give you a little insight into your, into your pastors, just a thing that gets to me occasionally. One of the reasons I sometimes don't like pastors' conferences is because it is a whole bunch of guys who wander around comparing themselves one to another. Very often the first questions that come out of people, well, how big's your church? As if that is some measure of spirituality. Can I tell you some of the most godly people I've ever talked to in my entire life don't even pastor churches. They're not pastors, they're not theologians. They're simple saints who love Jesus in some of the hardest places on the planet. And I am embarrassed by the level of faith that they have that I don't have. You see, so when we start judging by the exterior things and we start competing, when we start asking questions like, you know, well, how many people did you lead to the Lord? Now look, there is a time for me as a pastor when someone says, you know, well, you know, I don't think you do altar calls correctly. And I ask them, well, how many people have you led to faith in Christ last week? That's probably a legitimate question. But it's not a legitimate question when you go to a pastor's conference and pa people are sitting there, well, how many people go to your church and how many of them got saved because you preached the message? That's a wrong question, amen? So the reason I'm saying that is we can start comparing even our own individual spiritual lives in this exact same way. Well, you know, their kids don't even sin. And yes, I've had people tell me that. Their kids don't sin. I said, well, they didn't learn that from you. <laughs> no, it, we, we get caught up in all these external things. And it's just like, you know, people come out. I, I, and I'll tell you this straight up. I mean, I actually believe that there was some correlation between your spirituality and the thickness of your Bible. When I was a young Christian, it's like if your Bible was really heavy and you... It, it really hurt to lug it around. You must be more spiritual. I've, I've had people come up to me and their Bible is bound together with, you know, like rope and there's so many notes in it. It's like, it's not even a Bible anymore. It's like a filing cabinet with a leather cover. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, their Bible's really thin. Well, maybe they just like thin Bibles like this one. I've got a fat one too, so don't be, you know, don't think I'm unspiritual. <laughs> I've got one that's so marked up you can't read it, and I've got one that is hardly marked up at all. But you would be amazed how people, well, you know, oh, they don't mark their Bible, or they do mark their Bible. It's sacrilege! <laughs> you use ink? 
Why am I saying this? Because you are not going to be judged on whether your Bible was thin or fat or marked with pencil or marked with ink or not marked at all or whether it's got 64 feathers in it like this or whether it's got one or, 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 or any other standard of measure that you can humanly come up with. You are going to be measured by Christ. How did you stack up to what God gave you right where you were at according to the measure of Christ that's found in you. That's the lesson. We're not in competition. You are to be the best you you can be and I'm to be the best me I can be and if we will do that we can do extraordinary things together because the best you and the best me is the best us, amen? Isn't that crazy? It's kind of simple mathematics, isn't it? If the best of you added to the best of me, added to the best of the rest of us, that's going to be better than any one of us individually, isn't it? Because you have gifts I don't have. I have gifts you don't have. And so if we take your gifts and they're at their best and my gifts and they're at their best and everyone else's gifts and they're at their best and we measure only those things which are pertinent to us, then the church is monumentally benefited from that. But if we start going, well, they're not like me. Praise God they're not like you. <laughs> Amen? And I say that very, very tersely because that is the truth. If we wander around comparing ourselves to everyone else, then we shouldn't want anybody to be like us because that's the wrong measuring stick. A third thing is God receiving the glory for what you do in ministry and in life. Is God receiving the glory? Notice what it says, verse 17. But he who glories, let him glory in Jeff. You don't have that translation? Man, you guys are lame tonight. No, it says let him glory in the Lord, amen? We're all supposed to be glorying in the Lord, not in ourselves. Not in our, what our church does, but in the Lord himself. We glory in the Lord. Let him who glories. In other words, any stellar accomplishment that we have is due very specifically because of the Lord's work in our lives, both corporately and individually. That's how we get there. The glorious things that happen here in this church are because of Jesus. So, so we should always want the Lord to receive the glory. That doesn't keep you from giving compliments and edification and things to people who've been used in your life, but it should never get to the place to where, well, you know, the holy anointed pastor of that church, I, I, you know, every once in a while I'll get an envelope and it'll say, you know, the right, awesome, most holy, reverend Dr. Jeffrey S. Gill, you know, kind of thing on the cover. And it's like, I'm, I'm like, I automatically... It's kind of like Tweety Bird. Him don't know me too well, do he? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like, well, obviously he has never talked to me, you know, kind of thing. No, the only holiness in me is the holiness of Christ. The righteousness in me is the righteousness of Christ. The good works are the good works of Christ. Who I am, I am by the will of God in Christ. Jesus is my Lord, Amen. So, so we have to remember that so that the Lord receives that glory. 
He alone is worthy of it. This is a leadership issue. You want other people to follow that model so that God gets the glory for their life as well. A fourth thing, and this one's hard. I'm gonna tell you straight up, verse 18, it strikes, would, would the Lord himself send people to the ministry that I oversee? Would God entrust other souls for whom Christ died to you? Ow. Yikes. You, you see, you have a lot of people that'll tell you what you ought to do. But are you doing what God wants you to do? Would God himself send people to you? You're gonna find something that's true in your life. When you're walking where God wants you to walk and you're doing what God wants you to do, when you're doing it his way, he receives the glory, he's gonna send divine appointments to you. He's gonna send you people, both in your personal life and in your life in the church. You know why? Because he receives the glory and you give them counsel that's straight from him. That's why in this church we, we, we give godly, biblical advice we, we expound on the scriptures. I don't give you my opinion about what I think about your husband or your wife. I, I get asked that question fairly frequently in marital counseling. Well, what do you think about my husband? Well, what I think about your husband is, you know, if you shot him, I wouldn't feel that bad. That's what I think, given what he did. But you know what? That's probably not the Lord, okay? What the Lord says is he hates divorce and he wants you to be reconciled to your husband. What I think about your husband doesn't matter. You see, God will send people to you if you will speak for him. If you'll tell them what they need to hear from him. Would God entrust people to you? It's a strong question, isn't it? I had a, I had a, I got a postcard, and the postcard led to an email, and it went back and forth. It was this company that claims they can, they can increase church attendance by 50% over two years. <laughs> I got to admit, there was a little kind of devious intrigue that went on in my mind. I'm thinking, this is going to be good. I, I, gotta, I just have to know what this is all about. So I, I fill out this little online form. It was only, a, you know, it's like a couple of things and sent my email address and, and so they sent me this, this profile. Well, we noticed from your online presence and they gave me all these things that you, this is already a fairly large church. What would you say if we could, we could increase it by 2,000 people? And, and I sent back a question, where are they gonna sit? <laughs> they, they didn't have an answer for that part of the question. So, so I asked another question. It's like, can you tell me a little bit about your ministry? And so he, he, gave, he gave me the name of the church. I looked up the church. It was like this little church of like 100 people. And this guy had never pastored a church of any size at any point in time. He had simply studied statistics and, and was telling people what they should do to grow their church and was offering his services for, get this, $100,000 for two years. I thought, no, I'm gonna go straight to the boss on this one, I'm going to Jesus. <laughs> Amen? It's like, look, 
there's gonna be a future testing of everyone's work before the Lord. And these things, is this where God wants me to be? Do I see myself in competition or are we an addition to the body of Christ? Is God receiving the glory? Would God send people to our church? Not, not can we come up with some idea that will get more people here. It's would God send more people here? That's our goal. It's like, Lord, let us be so much like Jesus that people come here because the Lord's sending them. Now, he's gonna do that through you. He's gonna do that through online things. He's gonna do that from, by the way, our new video uh, monitors that are going out there on the bell tower that aren't in yet, but you'll see them eventually. There's gonna be some awesome, cool LED screens out there, and we'll use those things. But I don't need to you know, put an online thing and say on such and such a date, we're giving out $100 bills to the door. Come and see what Jesus is all about. The Lord himself is the one who builds up the church. It is the Lord himself who grows the church. And anything about the church better be about the Lord or he's not blessing it. And finally, because I'm going to be judged, because that work is going to be tested, we saw that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Lord allows difficulties in our lives, amen? Why? James said because it produces patience, and patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves you complete and lacking nothing. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, I hate that passage. Not as in hate it, but when I read it, I'm like, I don't want to go through trials, Lord. Could I, you know, trials are what you get when you go to Costco and you, you can get the free nugget thing. That's, I like trials like that, where you get like a Scooby snack or something. Those kind of, those are, tri- those are good trials. But you know what, those kind of trials don't produce much in us, do they? They produce a little extra belly fat usually, but not, they don't do anything good. And so the Lord says that, look, the testing of your faith produces patience. When you go through trials, the testing of your faith produces patience. And patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves you complete and lacking nothing. Why? Because one day, everything you have ever done is gonna be tested by the Lord to see what it was made out of. Everything. Not for your salvation, but for reward. The judgment seat of Christ that we already read about in this amazing book. Everything. I will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ for everything that I've ever said in this body, ever done in this body. People have asked, well, that's gonna take forever. Well, God's got forever, okay? He does, he's got all eternity. So if it takes two nanoseconds because he's God, great, but he is going to weigh those things. He's gonna say, you know what, Jeff, that was of me. Praise the Lord. There's gonna be a lot of stuff that's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's gonna burn in the fire. I wanna have some stuff to give back to Jesus. I want a crown or two to toss at his feet. What are we gonna do? And it leads us to this. Motive and heart, I believe, are actually more important than the external things by which we might measure ministry. Because see, God sees your heart. God knows why you do what you do. And God knows why I do what I do. 
and what we do as a church. He knows why we do these things. And those things which please him, whether they look like they're pleasing from the outside or not, are going to bear fruit. And those things that are of ill motivation, not pure of heart, no matter how good they look on the outside, are not going to bear fruit. Now, I didn't say churches won't grow. I said eternally. You're gonna get to heaven, you go, well, Lord, that church was huge. And you're gonna look and I don't know if you wear name tags that says what church you're from, but there's nobody from that church in heaven because it didn't honor the Lord. It led people astray with false doctrine. It let them believe the wrong things about God. And to that person, I can't imagine what that pastor would go through. I don't wanna be that pastor. So I just simply wanna tell people what God's word says and hopefully we can try and live it out together. You see, the motive of your heart needs to be pure if you really wanna lead in the Lord's kingdom. And so these lessons, is God where, am I where God wants me to be? Do I see myself in competition or am I an addition to the body of Christ? Does the Lord receive the glory? Would God himself approve and send people to the ministry that you oversee? Are we aware of that future testing of all things? And is my motive pure? Is my heart pure in all that I do? Those are the things that matter. Those are the real measuring sticks. And I pray that we would seek those things with a whole heart and allow God to use us for glorious things. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless your name. God, I pray that you would be so well pleased with me, with us, with this church because our heart was right. Our motives were clear and correct that you received the glory that we are only where you want us to be. And Lord, for us, that's all over the world. Lord, we're ministering here in our Jerusalem and our Judea, our Samaria and the uttermost parts. Lord, that is what you've called us to do and be and so we, we rejoice in that. But Lord, we pray that we never be tempted to lay hold of your ministry and seize it for ourselves. God, it's yours, we take our hands off of it. I pray that you'd mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus, keep us meek, humble, moldable, shapeable and Lord, above all things, would you receive and you alone receive, would you, God, alone receive the glory for everything that happens, Lord, in our lives individually and in this church. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.